Welcome to Hello Tomorrow. Hello Tomorrow is a podcast where we introduce remarkable individuals and their work to the world. A new episode will be available every fortnight on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all other major platforms. Now over to Subhash. Hello Tomorrow is all about introducing remarkable individuals and share their knowledge with the world. If you would like to support the podcast, you can donate on Buy Me A Coffee. at buymeacoffee.com/hellotomorrow or on patreon at patreon.com/hellotomorrow we thank you for your support in advance hello i am subhash and welcome this is our first interview in the knowledge series as a part of the knowledge series we speak with experts and try to understand complex topics in a simpler form for easy consumption and also understand their journey in the path of learning let me introduce nagasrikanth kalakuri who is the director of engineering at standard cognition Srikant is a friend, roboticist, researcher and an entrepreneur. His experience spans from autonomous navigation, driverless cars, machine learning and multimodal cognition. He strongly believes that technology can solve the world's problems. Welcome to my podcast Srikant and let's get started. Thanks so much and it's very nice to be here and great chatting with you. Can you please run us through your education? Where you where you studied and what all you've learned? Yeah, I've been in the area of uh, robotics for a big chunk of my life now. I did my bachelor's in India, uh, during which time, obviously, uh, we did a lot of adventures together, and that was what now seems like more than a few decades ago, but it was a few years ago. And after my bachelor's, I did my master's um, at uh, Carnegie Mellon University in the U.S. uh and during my masters like i was mainly focusing on robotics and autonomous navigation and mapping for uh, robots and um machine learning and all those areas um right after my masters i started working um and after working for a few years i came back for my phd at the same carnegie mellon university and during phd my main focus has been on um multimodal speech recognition basically using all the other modalities uh, like visual information context etc uh, but 3 uh, years into my phd i had to drop the course and then basically that was the end of my university education but i have been uh, taking a lot of courses online and like updating myself ever since that's a great uh, education background you've got can you talk us or run us through your work post your ms at carnegie mellon Yeah, my first job was um, again after my master's at CMU, uh, and that was in a research center in uh, Japan. Uh, it's called Advanced, sorry, it's called ATR, uh, which is Advanced Telecommunications Research Institute International. <laughs> That's okay. a long name. Yeah. Um, so it's a research center located in um, uh, Kyoto area okay. in Japan, where uh, the focus has been on uh, robotics and autonomous navigation and brain-machine interfaces. uh so i worked there for a couple of years uh where i did a lot of indoor navigation for wheelchairs for elderly um uh persons and also for people who cannot move uh and i was also involved in some brain machine interface projects where uh where pe- users can actually drive their uh drive their wheelchairs in house like environments just by thinking about some things yeah. um and uh i was also involved in large scale mapping projects like where we were mapping like huge supermarkets and when i say mapping it's it's more like mapping for autonomous navigation which is much more denser than the 2d maps that we see in google uh maps or something like that right. uh and also when i'm saying about indoor maps it's like basically a 3d model 
of the environment uh, and where you understand everything, like where different um, uh, different things are located, where the driveways are, where um, there are shops, and all that information is embedded into these maps. And um, after working there for a couple of years in that research center, I came back for PhD in the US, uh -huh. uh, which I mentioned I dropped it um, halfway through. And after that, uh, I took a small break and um, I worked in Dubai in, at Emirates Airlines um, for almost like a couple of years. Um, I was working in the innovation lab there uh, where uh, the main focus has been on improving the user experience or the um, uh, flyer experience or the traveler experience in Emirates flights, especially wow. on um, applying uh, some data science and machine learning in order to um, like keep it, like learn from your previous travels and like suggest you better deals or like uh, give you a better experience uh, for you to be prepared uh, for the next travel or like what to do and, and if you're going for a vacation. Uh, so more personalized information being uh, presented to you. And in addition to that, um, I was also involved in some uh, analysis on like pricing and other things for uh, the flight tickets. Uh, at, like applying machine learning for understanding the trends of pricing and and bringing in the context of like the calendar, uh, like the date on the calendar and other things and how do those affect the pricing. Must have been a pretty fun project working on so much of data. Definitely. It is, um, it is really fun uh, in a sense like working for an airlines company is obviously a, a great experience in my life. Um, and Obviously, Emirates Airlines has like a huge fleet of um, flights and a lot of A380s, and it's it's very nice. And also, our office was located right opposite to the airport, and it it was a wonderful uh, phase of my life where I was working on like the state of the art um, data analysis, and also like in, in such a nice, hospitable um, a company like Emirates, which is known for its hospitality and airlines. After uh, my um, work at Emirates, I um, came back to US uh, to start a startup. Uh, uh, that's when, like, I founded one of my uh, one of the uh, startups, like, along with two of my friends. Uh, it's called Explorer.ai. So this startup mainly focuses on um, building um, large-scale maps for driverless cars. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned, um, these maps are much more denser than Google Maps uh, that we see, um, like online. Are these maps generated using lidar? Yes. So it 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 these maps are generated using lidars, cameras and a lot more information like the satellite imagery and everything. So this is not like one modality that creates these maps, like you combine all this information, but most of the 3D uh, information was gathered from LiDAR. You're absolutely right. Sure. And uh, also, as I mentioned, like we overlay the uh, camera information onto these LiDAR maps. We overlay the information that is obtained from satellite imagery onto these LiDAR maps and basically come up with a very dense representation of the world. And this dense representation of the world is used by driverless cars to navigate around. Just to give a brief overview of the driverless technology, I would like to uh, split it into like three aspects. Uh, one is mapping, the second is localization, and the third is motion planning and decision making. Uh, obviously, I come from more of a uh, mapping um, side of this technology. So obviously, I'm biased towards more granular distinction of mapping and localization than motion planning and 
uh, decision making. But to briefly explain uh, these three things, mapping basically deals with recording all the static information in the world, right. where there are strays, where there are lane markings, where there is, uh, what, what are the rules at a particular point on the road? Like, can you take a right turn? Can you take a left turn? Or is that a stop? Or what is the speed limit? All this static information about the world is embedded into this blob called map. And that is mostly static, but it is dynamics in, dynamic in the sense that things keep changing in the world. There'll be construction happening um, uh, on a particular road, or there'll be some lane closure in a road, or like there might be some accident or uh, uh, some other thing that is causing uh, the traffic to uh, be diverted to a different road. Or all, all this information is embedded into maps. Then comes the localization aspect, which is basically you look at this static information, and you look at the real-time data that is coming from LIDARs and cameras that are on board the vehicle, and you try to match these two and see where exactly am I. For example, if you have a map with some particular store on, on your left side, and your camera sees that on uh, your left side, then basically you know that you're exactly at that particular spot. But that is much more explaining because you need to be as accurate as possible on the road. Because if you're going at 80 miles per hour on a freeway and yeah, if you're you off by like two degrees or three degrees, like obviously you're, you're, you're going to be way off in a few seconds, right? Yeah. So that's localization. And next comes obviously the most important aspect of motion planning and decision making. So this is basically all the real-time decisions that the car makes in order to avoid um, uh, hitting someone or like avoid uh, like making any wrong decisions on the road or like avoid any collisions or making sure uh, how, how the traffic light is like is it red green or um, orange and based on that like making all the real-time decisions and motion planning comes into the uh, last chunk. What we were focusing on at explorer.ai was mainly the first aspect of creating these denser maps and um, making those available uh, to these cars and also most important part, which is to keep them up to date, to uh, reduce the time between the change that is happening in the real world and the change that is uh, being reflected in these maps that are being provided to the cars. So the more upfront information you have, the the more safer your driverless car uh, can behave rather than trying to do everything in the real time. So that was the premise for our startup. And we worked on that and we built uh, pilot projects for like multiple autonomous car companies. And we also did some projects with some of the very well-known big uh, companies in the autonomous, drive autonomous driving space. And um, while doing that, uh, we also observed um, that a lot of consolidation was happening for autonomous vehicles. Uh, if you see NAV, basically uh, you can count with your fingers and maybe one hand, the number of uh, autonomous vehicle companies that are there, or, and also the number of startups that are working in areas related to autonomous vehicles. But three years back or four years back, that was not the case. There are like 100 companies, 100 startups, like working on different aspects of these autonomous vehicles, but now they got consolidated. So observing these market trends and all, and um, also uh, the very fact that um, a, a different company approached us um, with a proposal of acquisition, and that is uh, Standard Cognition. So Standard Cognition uh, is a company where I currently am working with. Uh, and uh, here we are developing technology for autonomous checkout, where you can walk into a convenience store or a supermarket, 
grab the items that you want and just leave um and all the all the checkout in uh, all the barcode scanning and all will be taken care automatically by the technology which we are developing so these people um approached us and uh, proposed us that uh, we use our knowledge and expertise in mapping for indoor environments to basically create a spatial cognition or a spatial understanding inside a store and that was very attractive for us because obviously here uh, the go to market is like right there like right in front of our eyes because going to um uh, we can actually work on real stores data and also we can deliver the product that in, in a very quick way so we um we got uh, also all our team was very excited about this um aspect and then we switched gears and got acquired by this company and uh since then we have been working on bringing in spatial intelligence to uh, indoor environments this is exactly what we were doing before but we were focusing on outdoor environments for driverless cars but what we are now doing is applying the spatial intelligence for indoor environments specifically for autonomous autonomous checkout use cases in supermarkets convenience stores so brings to the current time where i'm still at standard cognition uh working on developing um the autonomous checkout technology by using uh cameras that will be on the ceiling and here what we do is basically um not build stores ground up like um uh like some of our competitors who are working on autonomous technology but our biggest uh uh advantage lies in the fact that we are very good at retrofitting to the existing stores so you bring us a convenience store like a 711 or family mart or something and um we can actually make it autonomous checkout ready within few days or a couple of weeks by putting cameras on the ceiling and not touching anything on the shelves or anything. that is a great differentiator for uh, the market for sure so that was quite a good experience that you have acquired over this time and Uh, for a lot of people like me who always like problem solving and keep looking for challenges i guess something like what you're doing is really exciting listening to uh, what you're doing right now and uh, the use case that you're trying to fix so because this is the knowledge series um, why don't uh, you know you share a little more with us about in a one on one level about ai ml and robotics you know are they all different what are they and uh, how does one has to see them ai basically um is uh, trying to give human like intelligence to the machines right so it has like multiple aspects to it or multiple dimensions to it one obviously is machine learning where we teach the machines to see the patterns in the world yeah like how our our brain perceives the world from our eyes or ears and makes sense out of it trying to teach the machines to do that in addition to machine learning and understanding patterns in the world in order to achieve ai we also require other aspects like we need better computational capabilities mm-hmm. so however complex your machine learning algorithms are however advanced your machine learning algorithms are unless you have the right computational capabilities there is only um or you can only go till certain level yeah so having better computational complexities is definitely one of the important aspects of ai and in addition to that having better bandwidth for example uh, how you transmit information between um, you and the machines or between machine and machine 
also plays a key role in advancing AI because currently our the way we transmit our information uh, between us and a machine is limited by the speed of typing or the speed of speech, right? So unless we achieve better speeds there, um, it, it'll, it'll become hard to teach the machines and make the machines learn about the real world as good as we do yeah. and, and, and obviously respond to it. So like this, these are, these are some of the segments of AI, but again, you can consider a lot more to it. And to give an example, um, um, like there are different levels of this AI systems. Uh, if you take a proximity sensor uh, that, that turns on the light as soon as you enter the room and turns, off, turns it off, like as soon as you leave the room, that's also technically an AI system because it's perceiving the world's world through its sensors. It is actually computing what to do with that sensory information. And then it is showing an effect in the world by showing you some actuation, turning on the light or turning off the light. So, and from, from that is like very crude level of AI where the kind of intelligence it has is very simple and straightforward in a, in a, in a very narrow sense. But to, to achieve artificial general intelligence, like how we combine the context, the location, the weather, the, 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 the visual information, the auditory information, the noise in the background, and like the, all the experience you had with people like someone or like uh, visuals like this. Like, so our brain actually combines all this information to make sense out of what's going on around it. And then how should I act and, at, at a given point of time? To achieve that level of AI, there's a long way to go. And we need to add a lot more complexity to what we currently have. So what you're pointing out is that most of the segments, if not individually, together are giving us a lot of our solutions. Yes, absolutely. So um, it's not all or nothing, right? So even having like... Uh, the, just a speech recognition kind of AI, which just looks at audio signals and converts it into words. And then using NLP or natural language processing, you can convert these words into understandable sentences. That is using only ears. So it's basically like a human which doesn't have, uh, sorry, it's, it's basically like a human which, uh, or who doesn't have any skin or eyes or tongue or anything. All All the other senses are, dampened and only has ears. That's still usable uh, because not all AI agents need to have all the modalities or all the capabilities. But the most general intelligence can be achieved only when you're looking at the surroundings as a whole and not just like singular modality, just looking at video and then trying to make sense out of something will never be complete unless you have the other modalities added to it, other sensory information added to it. Sure. Uh, so can you share a few use cases uh, that are mostly being used or use cases that most of our audience can recognize? Yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of obvious things that we see online every day, like how, um, how it is becoming more and more personalized on Facebook, Instagram, or uh, all the social media platforms yeah. or the kind of recommendations you get on YouTube or Netflix based on the videos that you have watched. Uh, all this 
has a lot of dependence on machine learning and AI on the back. back. For example, compare the kind of Google results you used to get in 2004, 2005, and compare the kind of Google results for the same keywords you get today. Yeah. And this is definitely made possible because of a lot of uh, advances that happened in the last decade or more. In addition to what you see online, there are a lot of areas where you're where we are currently applying machine learning as we speak um, in trying to make our lives better. For example, obviously autonomous vehicles, where um, um, accidents is like one of the biggest causes of deaths right. around the world. And having machines um, of which can compute at like much faster rates and which can actually act with much more uh, resilience and stability than humans uh, to drive a vehicle will definitely help us. And most of the uh, autonomous vehicle um, system depends a lot on machine learning and understanding the world. And if you take uh, what we are building, autonomous checkout, uh, millions of man-hours or billions of man-hours or person-hours are being wasted around the world standing in the checkout lines whenever you go to a convenience store. Yeah. And what? just imagine what if we can just automate things and bring in the personalization, personalized aspect of going to a convenience store to get what you want rather than making it like a transaction or a business. Uh, how, how, how nice uh, that will make our lives to be on a day-to-day basis. So all of these are being made possible with um, uh, the recent advances in ML and AI. Srikant, can you tell us the difference between ML and data sciences? Yeah, I can give my perspective um, on that. Uh, definitely, I feel there is a huge distinction between uh, ML and the kind of meaning that we give to data sciences in a modern lingo. Um, ML is all about predicting what happens next. ML is all about understanding the patterns in input data. It could be sensory information, it could be visual information, it could be words, it could be um, audio, anything. Understanding the patterns in it and then trying to predict what uh, that could be. Like basically you have some data and the labels corresponding to it. And then you have some new sample which doesn't have a label corresponding to it. And you try to predict where it falls. Like you show it some apples and some bananas and the machine understands some patterns like anything that looks like red, round, are are apples or anything that looks in almost like a color yellow and like which are longer than apples are bananas. And now you give a random fruit to it or a random image and it tries to predict what that image is. Is What is the probability of that image being an apple or a banana? Compared to data sciences, in data science or big data analysis that we usually call, there it's about analyzing the data that you already have. It's not necessarily about predicting what that means or what what is the result of it or what is um, the effect of it, but it's more like making a sense of the data that you already have. You, uh, For example, uh, if you have the data about the population or if you have the data about employment um, uh, history, then you can understand like, oh, okay, these are the different demographics doing these kind of employments or these kind of jobs, like uh, what kind of, um, so how is the gender balance between a different uh, different uh, jo- job descriptions or how is the, uh, what, what kind of demographics are working mostly in what kind of uh, jobs or who who is earning how much. Like, so this is all the information that is already there, but um, big data analysis helps us 
analyze it and visualize it and make sense out of it in a nicer way compared to having it like a cluttered one terabyte of data in some hard disk. So that's the difference between um, the, the kind of the meaning how we use data science in general usage and machine learning. Globally, while all of these advances are helping the consumers and users in a great way, I guess there is also this large fear in uh, the governments as well as individuals about their privacy. Any comments on that? Definitely. I think uh, we, we need to be very cautious when we are building AI systems. Um, for example, um, the, in, the, in my company, we, from the beginning, we have architected our system in a, in a way that we don't get any biometrics from people or we don't do any face recognition or anything that will be unique for a particular person. It, it would have been much easier had we architected our system by doing face recognition because it's it's very easy to identify people with faces. But we were pretty clear that we want this entire experience to be as um, private as possible and as safe as possible for individuals to use this. So we architected in a way we are using the most generic things like pose of people. And um, basically the only identification we have is from um, the ch- check-in when you're checking in, like your your account information, which is encoded, is the only thing that identifies you, rather than any biometrics. So, but like not all applications are as private and as secure as what we are building. I, I completely agree to that fact. So it's something of concern, and uh, that's one of the primary uh, requirements for any engineer building these AI systems to respect the privacy of individuals that are using this. And also there there needs to be a lot of government regulation, which is already happening. For example, uh, in many states in the US, doing face recognition by any business is actually illegal. So you can't actually perform face recognition on large scale data um, in in many states. I think as far as I know, even California, you you can't do face recognition. So these kind of, and also obviously Europe is way ahead of anyone else in terms of like securing the privacy of people uh, with the fear of these AI systems um, uh, like intruding into individuals' lives. Uh, but at the same time, it's also a responsibility for uh, all the engineers and the policymakers to make sure um, this doesn't happen. But like like any technology, just has its own pros and cons. Right. Yeah, taking more of a moral responsibility of not uh, of of making sure that their uh, data is not misused. So, Srikanth, when can we expect highly intelligent systems in our daily lives? As in, we listen to a lot of systems getting intelligent, right? From you know Amazon getting uh, you know intelligent to Google getting intelligent. There is so much of intelligence that is getting involved into many things that we use in our daily lives, right? From governments using big data analytics and uh, performing analysis on uh, large amounts of data to you know give better governance to give the you know to get get closer to the citizens of the uh, of the country to you know using any of our amazons and googles of the world and then uh, in the us and a few other countries we have autonomous cars as already uh, so when do you think we can expect highly intelligent systems in our daily lives and which way do you think we can get them? Yeah, that's a very good question. And um, as, as you rightly mentioned, 
there, there are already a lot of highly intelligent systems in our daily lives. Like the very moment we touch our mobile phone, a lot of services we are using um, are dependent on uh, intel- machine intelligence. Um, and in addition to it, definitely a lot of forecasts, a lot of uh, predictions on uh, public services or policy making are now more and more moving towards using a machine intelligence and um, a, a data analysis in order to make these decisions possible. Um, but one thing I would like to point out is that we always had this, um, whenever we think of AI or robotics, like we had this impression of um, a huge metal box or like a, uh, or like a robot which looks like humans with a head, hands, and legs. Um, uh, helping us and uh, helping us in doing doing our daily chores right so that i believe is um not going to happen anytime soon in the next two or three years that that there are there is at least a decade before we see personal robots entering into our lives that that can help us but as we have discussed there are a lot of um there's a scope for a lot of personal assistance in the form of Things like Apple Siri or uh, visual assistants, like in, like Google Photos, and um, uh, and all this information um, in, in individual modalities will be brought to us using um, in, in a much more effective way using AI. Uh, but this uh, expectation of a human-like Android talking like humans, thinking like humans, acting like humans, is far away. But at the same time. Um, we are. We will start seeing AI embedding into our daily lives at each and everything from the time we wake up till the time we sleep, or even during our sleep, mm-hmm. um, to be coming into our lives like very soon. The more and more um, services uh, are available online um, that that depend on AI, uh, the faster it will be. But to see the real actuating robots uh, or like the the AI systems that has uh, more than online presence will be slow in uh, coming to our daily lives. Understood. So what do you think one should keep in mind while building an AI system? Yeah, this is something uh, we touched on briefly like in your question of uh, privacy. Like One of the things that one should definitely keep in mind is the privacy of um, individuals or the privacy of the users when building an AI system. And it should be, it should be more helpful rather than more detrimental to our lives. In addition to it, there are a lot of things that we need to be um, cognizant of when building AI systems. The first and foremost, I I think, um, is one needs to have an understanding on where to use an AI system or like where to use uh, an intelligent machine. Not all applications require ML or AI. It, it, it'll be foolish to just keep applying these things for each and every use case without understanding the downstream. So for example, um, uh, there was recently uh, an analysis on how um, a particular district court was using AI to decide what kind of sentence should be given to a particular um, um, convict or a particular person that was, um, um, that, that was arrested. And uh, that's, not right in my opinion. In in my opinion, that's something that is that needs that needs like careful consideration by people who are very well versed with the justice system and also the um, the rule of law before actually making a decision. And that's not something you should leave to a machine. Um, and also another aspect that we need to keep in mind 
is when we are building an AI system, we should be very cognizant of the diversity that exists in the world around us, especially in countries like India and US. Um, there is nothing that you can say that holds good for the for the entire country. There are people of different background, different ethnicities, and different cultures, different languages, different uh, colors of skin, and everything. So when you're building a, an AI system, you should respect this. Otherwise, there is a very good chance like you're biasing your entire system towards one section of people, or like, or you're alienating some sections of the people, which is going to be disastrous going forward. And also, um, to summarize uh, what I said, like I would say, any machine learning model or any AI system is only as good as its developer or as good as its engineer. I would also go to an extent to say any AI system is as diverse as the engineer that builds it. So, or any any AI system is as secure as um, um, as the individual that builds it. So um, it it heavily depends on uh, the individuals that are building it, and it should be it's a huge responsibility because uh, small mistakes at this point of time in building AI systems are going to have like very disastrous downstream effects uh, as we go forward, where we alienate certain. Um, uh, sections or certain genders of people or like certain um, cultures or backgrounds. So because we've touched base about autonomous uh, vehicles quite a few times over this interview, just out of my curiosity, do you think autonomous uh, driving is possible in a country like India? So the question is, is it possible? Yeah. Uh, then damn yes. Uh, but the question uh, is about like is it possible in the very near future? I think it's a it's a hard challenge. But again, um, for autonomous vehicles, uh, there are certain defined levels, right? Like level two autonomy, level three autonomy, four and five. And level five is like the highest um, uh, level of autonomy where the car can drive in known or unknown environments by itself without causing any damage to the surroundings. Mm-hmm. Or even 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 if it is left in the middle of a desert, it can it can find its way home. Um, so that's uh, the highest level of autonomy. But if you're talking about level two autonomy of autopilot or close to autopilot or like um, um, adaptive cruising technologies or something like that, or uh, level three, which is which is almost similar to the current autopilot um, technology in Tesla and other car, other vehicles. So those kind of things will be possible even in India very, very soon. Mm-hmm. Um, so overall, um, it's it's not a um, challenge that can't be solved, um, but it it it's just like more complex or more more exaggerated in India because of the lack of um, uh, specific uh, uh, traffic rules. For example, the lane markings are not available for most of the uh, uh, most of the smaller roads in India, at least the the, the areas where I grew up and where I have uh, studied. And these are all the things that make autonomous driving much more challenging compared to a road with lanes, lane markings clearly defined. It, it's slightly easier for a car to um, navigate around that. So um, in, in conclusion, like what I would say is like, it's, it's definitely possible. Uh, and also it's, um, it's not very far from um, how fast we can actually make this work in, um, um, in, in like more organized, in, in the countries with more organized traffic uh, discipline. Um, but definitely it's very challenging and uh, it's capital intensive as well. Like another thing we need to think about is like, are we ready to spend so much time, uh, sorry, so much money and so much resources on uh, making this possible and what kind of 
uh, effect will it have? So we've delved very deep uh, on on the whole gamut of artificial intelligence. On a personal level, are there a few rules that you follow in your life? Uh, are there certain things that you've done in your life that that have made you uh, successful? That's a deep question. But um, one thing I um, try to believe in is um, to be conscious of the decisions I'm making. I'd be very, uh, I'd be a very happy person if I can answer why I'm doing what I'm doing at any given point of time. Um, so the why is quite important rather than what you're doing or how you're doing everything. Um, so I always try to understand the fundamental reasons that are compelling me to make certain decisions or do certain things in life. So that's something I want. Um, uh, uh, I, I want to. I want myself to keep focusing on always, mm-hmm. rather than getting um, caught up in this flow of just doing things for the sake of doing. That's uh, quite intense. <laughs> Is there a, a, any specific advice you would like to give to anyone listening to our interview right now who's interested in AI specifically? I can share my um, brief um, understanding or experience that I've gained working with AI um, for, for many years now. Um, it is inevitable that AI is going to make its way to most, if not all spheres of our lives sooner or later, right? So we should start learning to coexist with the technology, but at the same time, um, keep the core principles of humanity alive or keep the core principles that make us different from machines alive. Mm -hmm. Um, And also for people who are enthusiastic in AI, definitely I would suggest them to think of more innovative ways of application of AI in our um, daily lives. And also um, being um, like, there's a very good chance for India to make a difference here by becoming the next um, machine learning or AI hub in the world, which can develop like a lot of applications that will make our lives better. And uh, listeners, you can expect most of the episodes in our knowledge series to be a little longer than usual because we are asking our guests to put all of their knowledge that they have gained over all of these years into half an hour or 40 minutes which would be really tough. So you can expect our episodes to be a little longer like this one already. So Srikant, is there anything else you would like to add? It, it was a wonderful conversation um, I had with you, Subhash. And uh, it's really nice to um, um, discuss with you. And also I really loved the, some of the questions you posed on um, going forward with AI and uh, what we can um, do with it to make our lives better. Thank you, Srikant. Thank you for all of your time. It's a great pleasure, Subhash. Thank you for having me. Have a great week ahead and wait for my next podcast with another remarkable guest. Please do subscribe and share our podcast and do join us on this journey of learning.